by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, along with us today is Vicar Albert Bader. It is a great pleasure each week to be able to take a look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday. And we have kind of a delicate balance that we want to uh, we want to be addressing here today. Next week will be different, but this week we have this balance. You're, you are hearing this program during Holy Week. And it is a somber, it is a reflective, it is a passionate time when we are meditating very, very clearly and very, very specifically on the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are meditating on his suffering. Um, We are meditating on his Monday, Thursday service and love, his institution of the Lord's Supper his Good Friday death, his Easter Saturday rest in the tomb, and we are preparing for Easter Sunday. So we're not going to be listening to a lot of Easter music uh, for our bumper music. We're not going to be going back and forth with the Alleluia's and all those things. We're preparing for that, just like we've been preparing for that for the last 40 days. So I just wanted to preface, preface this program. We're looking at the readings for Easter Sunday. And while there will be some Alleluia talk in our readings, this is what we're looking forward to. This is what we're looking forward to with our Sunday celebration, and not only our celebration for Easter Sunday, but a whole season of Easter where we celebrate with vim and vigor the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Anything that you want to add to that, Pastor, before we get into the introit? You know, I think you said it well. Um, the reality is is that uh, to have an Easter, to have a resurrection, we also have to have Christ on the cross uh, and uh, uh, dying and uh, suffering. And so both those things go together. And uh, we're at one point in that cycle, and soon we'll be on the other side of that. Okay. The introit for the resurrection of our Lord, and we're looking at the readings for the main service on Easter. There are three or four different suggested sets of readings. We're looking at the uh, the primary one or the main one in the one-year series. The antiphon, that part that is at the beginning, at the end, Luke 24, 5b to 6v. The bulk of the introit are selected verses from Psalm 8. You'll notice that not only are Alleluia's 
back in this particular introit, but the Gloria Patre that had been absent for the last two weeks as we got closer and closer to Holy Week is back. So, Vicar, without further ado, take it away. He is risen. Alleluia. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Alleluia. Remember how he told you, Alleluia, that the Son of Man must be crucified and on the third day rise. Alleluia. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What an awesome uh, phrase, line, quote from uh, from Scripture. And so we pray that God would uh, bless us in uh, in that respect. So, Pastor, that verse from Luke 24, uh, He is risen. Why do you seek the living on, among the dead? Remember how He told you that the Son of Man must be crucified and on the third day rise. This is a New Testament passage, Luke 24, and yet the content or the bulk of this passage refers back to the Old Testament Scriptures. What do I mean? And unpack that for our hearers, would you please? Well, we could uh, spend the rest of the program unpacking that particular idea. Well, that's a, I know that that is a topic <laughs> that is right down your wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, the, the re, these words are from Luke, and in fact, they're in all the Gospels, and they're words spoken by the angels um, uh, at the entrance to the tomb when Christ rose from the dead. Um, there's a, a lot we could say about even just that particular part, but the reality is is that the whole Scripture is there testifying to how Christ will uh, rise from the dead and defeat sin, death, and the power of the devil. Uh, it's promised uh, all the way back uh, in Genesis chapter 3, uh, both that uh, Satan will be destroyed by Jesus' head crushed, uh, also that will be saved through childbirth, the uh, foretelling of the birth of Christ to the Virgin Mary. Uh, it's the promise that is given to uh, renewed with Noah uh, after the flood, the promise that is given to Abraham that uh, through his seed all the world will be blessed. Um, then Isaac, then Jacob. Uh, Jacob promised that one of his descendants will forever rule. Uh, that's pointing ahead to Jesus. It's promised to David that uh, his kingdom will, uh, that his descendant will always rule over his kingdom and sit on his throne. Uh, in fact, every little bit of the uh, Old Testament is looking ahead to this moment when Jesus uh, is revealed to as who he is, uh, God in the flesh who defeated sin by the cross and rose from the dead. And, uh, you know, uh, about an hour we could go into detail on each one of those things. Each one, each one. And, and that is, uh, and thank you for that, and that is summed up by one phrase in the Nicene Creed. By one phrase in the Nicene Creed. Do you know the phrase I'm talking about, Vicar? I know I just but... I just kind of threw that out there. Uh, according to the Scripture, oh. according to the Scriptures, uh, when I was a kid, 
you know, I had this foolish notion, you know, that whenever we would confess the Nicene Creed, that uh, he rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. Oh, I took that to be that, well, the Bible tells us that Jesus rose from the dead, but we have no other proof, we have no other, you know, so this is all according to the Scriptures. And it did not click in my brain until years later. What you just said, Pastor, that everything in the Scriptures pointed forward to the person and work of the Messiah, the God-man, Jesus Christ, for us and for our salvation. This was no accident. This was God's intricate plan. And every jot and tittle of God's Word connects us to Jesus in some way, shape, or form. And this is this is why... Pastors are always encouraging their people to read their Bible, to read their Bible. This is not Lutheranism, is not some church that uh, does not want you to, to read your Bible and discover some, some secret that they're not telling you about or anything nonsense like that. Read your Bibles because the more you know God's Word, the more you are connected to God's Word, the more you are familiar with God's Word, the, the lights just come on. It's like, oh, 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 this was quoted someplace. Oh, this reminds me of that. And it is just such a joy, not a chore, but a joy to read the Holy Word of God. And how important must this thing be if God spends 3,000 years saying it over and over and over again in different ways and promising it over and over and over again in different ways? Or as Luther puts it in the Catechism, uh, God never stops teaching this, and I think that's in the preface. How could we ever stop learning what God never stops teaching? God's name is majestic in all the earth. Vicar, what in the world does that mean? The name of God is majestic. It's the greatest thing in all the earth, and why? Well, because this is the God who has made all the earth, the only one true God, and so his name is majestic. It is holy. It is perfect, and it is one that ought to be known by all of his creatures, but unfortunately, that's not the case. The uh uh, it it amazes me, and Pastor Morandi and I used to talk about this all the time. All of the uh, times in our readings, and especially in the introit, when God as Creator is highlighted, and this is something that we shy away from, we back away from in the church so much. We don't want to be ridiculed by science. We don't want to be ridiculed by people who think that we are uh, country bumpkins, um, and we need to repent of that. And we need to preach God's word uh, cover to cover in its truth and purity. Pastor, this uh, bulk of the introit is Psalm 8. And we have kind of a shift here to the third person. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Him, 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 his. Sort this out. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one um, that uh, is the glory that's set above all the heavens. He's the one who was made a little lower than the heavenly beings. Again, uh, we say that in the creed also. Uh, he became man 
Um, and uh, he's the one that's crowned with glory and honor. Uh, he is, uh, in fact, enthroned as he is crucified, set on the throne of the cross, crowned with a th- crown of thorns, uh, draped in a purple robe. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, that's God's glory right there. And uh, he's been given dominion over all the works of, his, of God's hands. He's the one who's now the new ruler again uh, for creation, having won it back from sin, death, and the power of the devil by going to the cross. And uh, he He's the one that uh, is resurrected now uh, to live and reign in that kingdom forever. He's the one that is our ruler, uh, our ultimate eternal ruler, uh, not just during a a four-year term or uh, uh, just in this lifetime. He's ruler forever. It's, It's God, Jesus, that is the one this uh, particular psalm is completely about. Psalm 8 is indeed a messianic psalm. Just a a quick question in the time that we have left. When uh, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands, you've put all things under his feet, are, are we talking about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God? Are we talking about the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ at this point as well? Yeah, we're taking the whole ball of wax all at one time here. The whole and, enchilada, and that's as what Pastor we do Kuhlman would say. On uh, Easter is we, we take the whole enchilada, everything. Okay, so uh, Jesus was dead, but now he is alive. This is just exactly the way God said it would happen. It wasn't an accident. It isn't a myth. It is real. And the best news of all is that it is real for you. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the great absolution. Your sins are forgiven by his bloody death and his bodily, physical resurrection. We want to take a look at the gospel reading for Easter Sunday when we come back from our break. Mark 16, 1 to 8. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We are privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're looking at the readings for the resurrection of our Lord Easter Sunday and our worship services this year for Easter Sunday. We have our sunrise service at 6 a.m., our 
Divine Services will be at 8.30 and 10.30. Please note the service time change there, 8.30 and 10.30. No Sunday school or Bible study on Easter Sunday. That will resume again the following week. And uh, we'd love to have you join us. Please come and worship the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. We're at 3825 Wildbriar Lane in South Lincoln. All of our worship services are live on KNNA LP The Cross. And we've got all kinds of stuff archived at the website. Check that out as well. www.thecross957.org The Gospel reading for the one-year series for the resurrection of our Lord, Easter Sunday, is the Easter account according to St. Mark. There are four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Easter accounts, and throughout the season of Easter, we get a chance to look at different, uh, different accounts and different aspects of the resurrection story. Mark is uh, short and sweet and abrupt. And so, Vicar, are you ready for this? Take it away. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were going, saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out of the tomb and fled, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The last word in our gospel reading, our gospel text for Easter Sunday, Mark 16, 1-8, they were afraid. And back in verse 6, the angel um, said to the women, do not be alarmed, or in other words, do not be afraid. Fear. Fear is the order of the day when Jesus rises from the dead. Pastor, why are the people so fearful? Well, even uh, in the uh, the Greek in uh, verses 5 and 6, it's kind of a weird word that's being used here. Uh, uh as opposed to the last verse, uh, verse 8, where it is a kind of more traditional fear word, uh, phobu, uh, or phobus. Um, and where we get our word phobia. Yep, yep. The, the word in 5 and 6 is... Is uh, has this definition of to be amazed uh, or uh, dis, you know 
what has happened is so amazing that you're just afraid that, you know, is it real? Are you sure? Um, uh, can we trust what we're seeing? Uh, this sounds too good to be true. This is the kind of thing um, that that's the sort of fear that they have. They just they can't even wrap their brains around it. You know, there, there is an English word. It's fallen out of use, but there is an English word that captures everything that you said. The, uh, the wonder, the amazement. And is it really true or not? Can it be true? And that word is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic and fantasy come from the same basic root. And so you're wondering and you're amazed. Uh, when we say fantastic nowadays, most of the time, we just mean, oh, yeah, we're happy for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, you got a good grade on your report card? Fantastic. Um we should probably have the right. Fantastic, really? <laughs> Tell me the truth. Yes. So, but that word uh, summarizes that up. So, what's the big deal with all this fear? Well, it's um, it's it's a result of still not completely understanding what's happened yet, uh, because they haven't heard the word that goes with the thing that they're seeing. Lots of times in the scriptures, when there's a miracle that happens, they see the miracle and they are amazed and afraid and alarmed at what has happened. And it's not until the word is preached that goes with it that then they begin to uh, understand with faith, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when they see the empty tomb and the stone rolled away and the angel there, they are um, shell-shocked and, and amazed. Uh, the the uh, angel preaches a word, don't be alarmed. Uh, he is not here. He is risen. And uh, it's still kind of sinking in at the end. But now they're also still afraid because they still don't know what it means or what it holds for their future. They, they haven't wrapped their mind completely around it yet. And they won't really until Christ himself appears to him, appears to them and, and preaches to them uh, some more of God's word to explain what's happened and, uh, and makes it much more clear for them. And the more word, the better, and, and I think that's the case here. I think uh, I think of some of the uh, Stephen King uh, scary movies that are out there, and I think they're just doing a, a re- remake of a Pet Cemetery again. Um, you know, just some scary kind of stuff, and we we tend to forget the women are in a graveyard. This is this is funeral time. People are grieving. And vicar, when when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and I believe that's Salome, brought spices that they might go and anoint him. Why? What's going on here? Because they still think that Jesus is dead. Because normally when people are crucified, uh, every time people are crucified by the Romans, unless they pull them off the cross before they suffocate and die, they are indeed dead. And so they're going to the tomb to anoint him with these spices that would kind of basically perfume the smell of death so that as his body rots and decays, you won't be able to smell it quite as much. They still think, because as all their experiences leading up to this time would have convinced them, that when someone dies, they remain dead. And so now Jesus' word is being fulfilled that he would rise from the dead and then go before them into Galilee where he will meet up with them again. Think about what they're expecting to see, right? Their their friend, uh, Jesus, has been beaten to a bloody pulp. 
He's been crucified, dead, stabbed in the side. He's covered with blood. They got him in the tomb as quickly as possible. It's now been, you know, a couple days uh, from our just linear speaking of time uh, purpose. And so the body has been sitting in this warm spring tomb for a couple of days. They expect it to be bloated. Uh, there to be dried on crusty blood. They expect the tomb to be sealed, not just closed, but also sealed with a, um, you know, a seal from Pontius Pilate with guard out front to keep people from stealing the body. And uh, uh, it's early in the morning. They've gone out here to try and avoid the crowds too because uh, there's still lots of people in Jerusalem and they're trying to get in there to do this work quietly with without drawing attention to themselves because Jesus was killed as a thief. They get there, the tomb is open, the body is gone, the guards are gone, and uh, an angel is there. And uh, all this stuff is the exact opposite of what they're expecting. It, it's kind of a crazy thing in that regard. I would be alarmed and shell-shocked and amazed uh, as well. Yeah, you you would have to think that maybe you were in you know, some kind of a bizarro world episode from Jerry Seinfeld or just in a dream, just in a dream. But it's not a dream. They have a real expectation that they're going to have a difficult time getting into the tomb to properly care for the body of Jesus. And we've watched, we've watched many movies, um, whether it be uh, Brad Pitt in Troy where he's Achilles or Marlon Brando, uh, where his son Sonny is murdered in The Godfather. The, we've seen many times where uh, uh, a person who's in charge, usually a parent, they want the body of their slain child so that it can be treated with respect, that it can be cleaned up, that it be, can be given a proper burial. And, you know, I think, so many times in our world today, we miss that. We miss that because not only does death stink, but death is an inconvenience. So we want to cover up the stink and we want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. We'll wait for six, eight, ten months before we have grandma's funeral because it's just not convenient. It's just not convenient. And um, the reality of what's going on here. It changes your routine. It changes your schedule. It changes your brain. It changes everything about you because that's what death does. Well, yeah. Um, they've already asked a lot of Pontius Pilate. You know, um, they shouldn't have gotten the body back to put in a tomb. It should have just, the Romans would have left it hanging on the cross for for the for birds, until it fell off on its own. Yeah, birds and they, wild animals would have consumed it. The Jews asked it to come down because uh, it's Passover and they don't want bodies up there making things unclean. And so Pilate, out of his kindness of his heart, does that. But it should have just been thrown in a pit with those other two thieves. They've they've already gone above and beyond. And to ask to go into this tomb and clean it up, that's even asking more than they should get from Pilate. The, uh, the stage has been set now. When the women get there, they are in shock 
because the stone has been rolled away. You can imagine all the different things that must have been going through their mind. Uh, was there was there an army? Did somebody come and forcibly take the body of Jesus? Did Pilate change his mind and want the body back out? Did the uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, did they uh, demand the body of Jesus so that it could be you know, burned or whatever in uh, in effigy for uh, what they consider to be false claims. They've got all these things going on in their brain. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. Now, Pastor, you said that was an angel. How do you know? Uh, the other gospel accounts uh, all talk about it as well, and that it is an angel. And even the way that uh, Mark talks about angels, that's usually the way he describes them. At the tomb of Christ in Jerusalem, there's actually a chapel on the front of the tomb called the Chapel of the Angel because all the gospels say there was uh, an angel sitting in there. And if you look at the uh, uh, layout of most uh, first century Jewish tombs, they had the room in the back where you put the body to rot away, and then the room in the front, uh, right at the entranceway, where you put the bones into a box and you stack the boxes of bones, the ossuaries. And so it's that front room that the angel is sitting in. Okay, what what does the word angel mean, Vicar? Messenger. And that's what this person is doing. He's bringing a message of God's word that has been fulfilled. He has risen. And when we come back from our break, we're going to take a look specifically at that message. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for Easter Sunday, the resurrection of our Lord. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for the resurrection of our Lord Easter Sunday. <laughs> I encourage you to be in church a lot this week as you're hearing this program. It's Holy Week. Many churches have lots and lots of extra opportunities for worship this week. Be in God's house, hear God's word, receive God's gifts, and prepare yourself for this message for this story. Jesus is alive. We, uh, we ended, we're halfway through our gospel reading, Matthew 6, or, uh, Mark 16, 1 to 8. And here in Mark, we have the women who go to the tomb. The women have spices. They're, they're going to anoint the dead body of Jesus. When they get there, they're shocked, surprised, amazed, because the tomb is open, the body of Jesus is not there, the soldiers guarding the tomb are not there, but somebody is there. They entered the tomb, verse 5. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. We have uh, deduced that this young man is not a man, but an angel. An angel, as Vicar said, means messenger. 
the first message that comes out of his mouth is do not be alarmed or fear not would be a paraphrase of that. And we hear that a lot in God's word. Uh, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Now, Pastor, why were the women seeking Jesus of Nazareth? Were they expecting a resurrection? Were they expecting an Easter sunrise service on this particular day? What were they seeking, and what kind of a Jesus were they seeking? They were seeking a crucified Jesus who was dead, and that even uh, is the reason that they are carrying all those spices with them. Um, The uh, verse, let's see, verse 1 says they brought spices so they might go in and anoint his dead body, essentially, to uh, uh, keep the scent down, the smell down uh, for the rotting corpse. So they are looking for a dead Jesus. The angel says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So we got a lot of stuff going on here in the, uh, the phrase, the statement, the message that the messenger angel gives to the women. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. You're looking for a dead Jesus. You're looking for a crucified Jesus. Jesus has risen. He is not here. Jesus has risen. He is not here. What do we make of that, Pastor? How can that be looked upon as uh, a bold statement of the gospel truth? And how might some look at that with a bit of skepticism? Well, it is a a bold gospel truth, and that's in fact why uh, at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, these are the words emblazoned on the the inside of the tomb where this supposedly happened. Uh, He is risen, he is not here. The word um, is a gay row. It is a aorist passive, meaning it's a, a passive action. Jesus has been raised, and we know that happens by the glory of the Father. Um, Jesus has been raised, and he's not there. It is the first time uh, that a person has ever been raised uh, to live forever, uh, to never die again. Of course, Jesus rose, raised other people, uh, and it, uh, in the Old Testament we have Elijah that raises people from the dead. Uh, This is the first time that somebody will live forever with never being buried again. And uh, that's a bold statement. It's a bold confession of faith, and yet it's what we believe. And of course, it's met with some skepticism. And yet uh, all the things around this point it to be true. And in fact, if uh, you examine Christianity from a a, uh, I don't know how you say it, with eyes of skepticism. Uh, there's really no other way to explain what's happened here that uh, can pass the smell test, uh, except the fact that Jesus really did raise from the dead. When, uh, when, somebody, when somebody says, uh, oh, oh, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have your money, uh, the check's in the mail, the check's in the mail. I mean, we are, we are skeptics by nature. Because people lie, they cheat, they steal, they, they deceive. 
And so it is normal for somebody to look at this. Oh, 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 yeah, he's not here. Uh, he rose from the dead. Assuming that this was some con artist job trying to uh, fool and fake all these people out, and that could not be farther from the truth. We have historical documents. We have eyewitness accounts. We have all these things that point to the fact that Jesus is not a liar. He said he was going to rise from the dead. Three days after he was crucified, he rose from the dead, just like he said. Uh, It says, see the place where they laid him. Can you tell us a little bit, you you did before, you know, when you were talking about the inner room and outer room and all that stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about what a typical Jewish tomb would look like? Well, um, you can actually see typical Jewish tombs if you go to Jerusalem. They have some uh, on the Mount of Olives um, that are from the first century. They have uh, some uh, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre for other people that are just a few yards away from where Christ's supposed tomb were. Uh, Everything in Jerusalem at that time was built out of stone, at least the walls were, and then maybe uh, cedar beams for the ceiling. And so there's lots of quarries where these stones are dug up, so they can be carried to the place and stacked up to make the walls of places. When you get to bad stone, you stop digging. And what that oftentimes leaves is a, uh, a vertical wall uh, in the rock. Uh, these walls would then, later people would come in, they'd fill down the, the ground with uh, dirt to grow gardens, like this particular case. And then in the walls uh, of these vertical uh, rocks, they would dig out a tomb. Uh, Lots of times they uh, had uh, even multiple rooms within these tombs. Uh, At least they would have an entry tomb, an entry room where you would go in and there would be little niches carved into the wall uh, where you would place the bone box of your family members. And then the next room in would have a a stone bench, usually around the whole outside uh, of the the room. And if you can't see, I'm uh, diagramming this with my hands as we talk here on the radio. Yeah, highly effective. Highly effective means of communication. So they'd have these bench along the uh, the walls of the inside rooms. And so uh, in those w- benches, you would place the bodies of your loved ones, and you would leave them there for about a year. And uh, after a year, all the flesh would have rotted away, and you'd go in and you'd uh, collect the bones together, put them in a box, and move it to that first room. Uh, the number of rooms uh, can vary. The number of niches in the wall can vary. Uh, the way the bodies are placed on the benches can vary. Um, but but uh, essentially, that's the burial practice, and that's the way this particular tomb was laid out. We have uh, we, we have a command here. the The angel tells the women, "Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. There you will see him, just as he told you." What is the angel referring to, Vicar? When did Jesus tell the women and the disciples that all of this was going to happen? A week before this time, when he is eating supper with them, he's talking about what is what he's going to do when he goes into Jerusalem, how he's going to be betrayed and handed over and killed, and then three days later rise and go before them into Galilee. And... Uh, even at that standpoint, the women might be thinking, oh, what's he going to look like? Think about uh, what this corpse would have looked like. Well, if Jesus is only man, uh, he's going to be black and blue all over and everything. And 
Uh, Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, Frankenstein's monster. It'd be interesting, Pastor. Who was crucified? I would imagine is in the perfect. Uh, Jesus was crucified. Jesus is still praised as the crucified one. He's no longer black and blue, but they're going to be able to recognize him because he still has the holes in his hands and in his side so that even Thomas can touch him and feel and know this is God in the flesh. It's not a fake. It's not an imposter. It's not a body double. This is the same body that was on the cross has now been resurrected, raised from the dead. Pastor, um, I want to I ask you, why do you think the angel says, go tell his disciples and Peter? Why is Peter separated from the disciples at this point? Well, uh, I, I'll tell you, I think Mark is actually the gospel Peter writes uh, through the person of Mark. Uh, this first-person account here that's recorded in the gospel of Mark is what Peter had probably taught his uh, his disciple, for lack of a better word, Mark. And so Mark writes it all down for him. And uh, that's the reason that Peter pulls his own name out here specifically. He says, yeah, the, the angel told the, uh, the ladies, go tell the disciples, including me, uh, this is what uh, uh, Jesus said. I think additionally then also you see Jesus pulls Peter out uh, at places like the Transfiguration and other places. And uh, uh, he's kind of the head disciple, if you will, at that time also. So for those two reasons, I think uh, Peter's name is pulled out specifically. We also have in 1 Corinthians 15 where Peter is uh, pulled out as far as uh, distinguished. uh, His name is separated from the others. And uh, I have often thought that it was because of the way Peter and Jesus' relationship ended on that uh, Monday, Thursday, going into Good Friday night, when Peter denies his Lord three times, and whether he is in Jesus' mind or in Peter's mind, he's separated from the disciples because of his great sin. And because of that great sin, he needs to be restored. And that's exactly what we read in the Gospel of John. We have that firsthand account of the restoration of Jesus, uh, of Peter by Jesus. Uh, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. And uh, three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Pastor, how is this narrative account of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fear, all these things that we have going on here, how is this ultimately about the forgiveness of sin? Well, um, it's all about the forgiveness of sins because the very fact that uh, God died and rose again and is willing to talk to these people who abandoned him, who left him behind, who all these things implies the fact that there is forgiveness of sins. Um, The fact that the angel says, don't be alarmed, instead of, now you better watch out, he rose and he's coming to get you, uh, that tells us this is good news and not bad news. And I think we have to keep that in mind. Jesus doesn't rise to get payback. He rises uh, to welcome Christians into the faith and into eternity. 
We do not have an Arnold Schwarzenegger Jesus who says, I'll be back. And you know what he means when he says, I'll be back for payback, for revenge, to get even. Uh, when the disciples are locked in their room for fear of the Jews, one of the Jews they were afraid of was Jesus, that he might be coming back. But he did come back, but he came back not to punish, but to save. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for Easter Sunday. When we come back, we're going to look at the reading that this hymn that you're hearing is based on. Job 19, 23-27. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. I know that my Redeemer lives, one of the most beloved hymns in the church. We hear it a lot during the season of Easter. We hear it at funerals, and it is based on a very, very clear word of God in Scripture. Welcome back from our break, Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the resurrection of our Lord Easter Sunday. And I know when you're hearing this, it's not quite Easter yet. We've been a little bit subdued on our program today. We know this is Holy Week and that um, we still want to prepare you for the joy and celebration of the resurrection of our Lord on Sunday. So, Vicar, Job 19 23 to 27. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. My heart faints within me. We almost have a connection there to that that word in uh, Mark 16, 5 and 6, where they were were, uh, astonished or amazed at the fantastic thing that had just been put before them. My heart faints within me at the thought... The thought that my Redeemer lives, the thought that my skin is going to be destroyed, the thought that I'm going to see God face to face, um, we've got a lot of sorting out to do in this short little text. First, um, can you tell us a little bit, Pastor, Get us, give us a Reader's Digest, one or two minute uh, recap of Job's life t- 
to this point. We're halfway through the book when we're in Job 19. Most people know the beginning of the story and the end of the story. They don't really care what's going on in between. Can you kind of summarize things for folks that don't know much about Job? Yeah, it begins with Job has um, uh, great wealth and and prestige and a large family. And uh, Satan goes before God and says, uh, the reason Job believes in you is because you've given him all these things. So uh, God uh, takes those things away from Job, allows Satan to... um, attack his family so they're all dead, take away his riches, and even allow Job himself to become sick. Uh, In the middle part, which is the main part of it, there's uh, uh, Job's friends come, and they try to justify or, uh, you know, philosophize away what's going on with Job uh, and to uh, kind of explain it in human terms why bad things happen to good people, I guess you could say. And uh, it goes throughout all this whole book, and in the end, uh, Job finally, uh, uh, I don't know, kind of talks against God a little bit, and then God speaks and says, Who are you to determine what's good or bad? Were you there when I uh, made the ocean deeps or created the earth and uh, the stars and the sky and all these things? Were you there? Uh, Do you even know how they work? Uh, Why do you get a chance to say these things? I'm God. I'm good. with The things I do are good, and uh, you are completely in my care and my mercy. And uh, Job... Okay, yeah, that sounds good, God. <laughs> um, and then Job gets, uh, uh, he has more children. Uh, in fact, I think there's one of the greatest confessions of Job is that Job uh, lost, uh, I think, seven children and gets uh, seven children back. Uh, everything else that Job gets back is gotten back in double. And uh, we can see that being the same thing with his children because he'll see all those children again uh, in heaven. And so he'll ultimately have 14 children, double what he began with. Yeah, that that is a, a, a marvelous picture and a great recap. And so right here in the middle of the book, when Job's suffering is at the greatest, when the advice from his wife and friends are pious platitudes or curse God and die, Job says, I'm going to say something pretty important here. In fact, It doesn't get any more important than this. And then he says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. Vicar, what in the world is going on here? Well, obviously it is uh, preserved forever because we still have it in front of us. Uh uh, (laughs) God's word endures forever. But it's also interesting that with an iron pen and lead, I believe I learned this from Pastor Moline in one of his Bible studies, is talking about taking a chisel and marking it into a stone tablet and then where those words uh, have been chiseled in, take melted lead and pour in there so that they're there forever. And uh, that's what we have before us here today. He doesn't want his words to flitter away like most of our words do. He doesn't want his words to be written down on some kind of a, a, a animal skin or a scroll or something that, that might wear out or that moth would destroy, something that would get lost. These words are so important. 
He wants them recorded forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's exactly what we have. And your point about, well, we still have these words, uh, is uh, very well taken. And then what he wants to say is, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he shall stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, my heart faints within me. This is the message that he wants preserved. Now, Pastor, we uh, in the Lutheran Church are very skeptical of any kind of theological statement that starts with the word I. I, me, we, I, me, we. We look out for that like the plague. Is that what's going on here with Job? Or is there something bigger going on? It's it's not a this is how he feels or this is what he expects. Rather, it's a confession of faith. And, um, and this confession of faith is uh, same way, you know, we, we say now the creed, I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So it's a confession of faith. It's a confession of faith. And so his confession is that there is a Redeemer who lives, the one who, uh, and the word here, Redeemer, is that idea of the kinsman uh, who will come and... Um, uh, take away uh, the issue, whatever it is, and, or pay the price for it, uh, set things right, uh, redeem him in that regard. And we know that Redeemer then is Jesus, ultimately. He's the kinsman who comes into this world, takes our sin upon himself, bleeds and dies so that we can be set free from that sin. He is our kin because he is truly a human being, God in the flesh. And this uh, this kinsman Redeemer uh, rule, law that we have in the Old Testament that is uh, really highlighted in the book of Ruth is that the only one who can truly buy you back from your bondage, from your slavery, from your indebtedness is somebody who's related to you. And the only way we could be bought back from our debt of sin was to have someone who was related to us, truly a human being who would pay not only for my sin and your sin, but the sin of all people everywhere. All right, now, Pastor, I know that my Redeemer lives with a great Easter hymn, great funeral hymn, uh, pointing forward to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then Job goes on and says, after my skin has thus been destroyed, and I believe the King James says, after the worms have eaten my skin, yet in my flesh I shall see God. We know that's not talking about Jesus. No. That's talking about the believer because Jesus' body saw, saw no corruption. So connect the dots for me between the fact that the kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, is alive, has conquered sin, death, and the grave, and the fact that one day my bodies are gonna my body is gonna be worm food. How is that good news? How does that make my heart faint with joy? He Jesus is the first fruits of them that sleep, I think the uh the way we say it goes. In other words, um we're gonna die 
uh, just like Job is dead currently. Somewhere his bodily remains lay in the ground uh, undiscovered by us, or at least not known to be discovered by us. Uh, all his flesh has rotted away, and maybe even his bones have uh, broken up into little pieces, if any of them even exist now. And yet he knows that even though that's the reality that he faces, just like you face and I face and all of us, uh, even our little babies one day will die, even though our bodies rot away in the grave, we know that we shall be resurrected just like Christ was, that our flesh will be put back together even though it has been destroyed, that our skin will be uh, on the outside of our body again even though it has been destroyed, that uh, sinew upon sinew will be put together, the bone to bone, uh, just as Ezekiel sees, and that we in our own eyes shall see Jesus face to face when he stands at the foot of our grave and says, come out, and uh, you know we'll have no choice but to obey him when he does that, and that's good news. Christ's resurrection guarantees your resurrection. Vicar, um, I always ask the confirmation kids, on the last day, whose bodies will rise? Every single person that's ever walked on the face of the earth. Even pagan unbelievers? All of us, all together. So... Uh, give me a little brief picture of what that's going to look like on the last day. Where, where are they going to go? They get a second chance or what? No second chance. When we are all raised up on the last day, we are going to be celebrating like Job with our head lifted high, staring at our glorious Lord, uh, praising him for coming finally to deliver us completely 100% from this fallen world we're at the other time. The unbelieving people who did not believe in Jesus will confess him as Lord on that day, as the scriptures say, but their heads will be brought down in shame as they hear the judgment pronounced upon them that you are guilty. You are not forgiven of your sins because you did not believe in me, and they will spend eternity in hell with the devil and all of his fallen angels. Pastor, uh, too often we fail to connect the dots with the resurrection of the body and the resurrection of the flesh. For most Christians, you die believing in Jesus, your soul goes to heaven, and that's the end of the story. Uh, we got about 45 seconds left. Why is the resurrection of the flesh, both of Jesus and for the Christian, why is that an important doctrine? Yeah, you're not going to be an angel. You're not going to grow wings. You're not going to be a spirit being. You're going to live forever bodily the way that uh, God created Adam and Eve in the beginning uh, perfectly with a body and a soul to live that way. That's how you'll spend eternity. And so even your grave is not a final resting place. It's a resting until Jesus comes back place. And uh, that's why we put, um, they used to put, you know, uh, requiat in pacem on the, um, uh, the tombstones. <laughs> That's rest in peace, not stay here forever in peace. And uh, so that's our hope and our promise. God will put our bodies back together perfectly. Uh, I won't have my bum knee or my bad eyesight anymore. Uh, you won't have your gray hair and uh, wrinkles. Watch uh, it. Watch we'll, it. Uh, we'll be put back together perfectly to live wonderfully with God. Well said. Vicar, you want to close things up with the collect for Easter Sunday. Let us pray. Almighty God the Father. Through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, you have overcome death and opened the gate of everlasting life to us. Grant that we, who celebrate with joy the day of our Lord's resurrection, may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving Spirit. 
Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Sunday morning, get up. Get up early if you like. Drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastor, and go to church. Celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Happy and blessed Easter to you and yours.